We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them... It's just right for us. The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Miami can win the Super Bowl now. I did not feel Ooh. that way this morning. Miami wow. absolutely wow. win the Super Bowl right now. Wow. Miami didn't think they had anybody that could get Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes yeah. on the ground. They had to get a guy that could stop the other quarterbacks, and their quarterback is playing Super Bowl caliber football right now. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that just... <laughs> Off the top rope. I, I don't even know what to call that. From Dan Arlovsky calling, de- declaring that the Miami Dolphins are now Super Bowl contenders after their busy trade deadline day earlier this week. We're here looking at week eight and the trade deadline. I, it's a wild time, Chris. And it's interesting because the trade deadline in the NFL has usually been one of the most boring of all the major North American sports, right? Yeah, but nobody they, in football gets traded before the deadline. Yeah, but they recently—I don't even remember what year it was—they moved it back to week eight because it used to be like week six. Yeah, I remember it was so early in the season; most teams didn't know what their flaws were. So then they moved it back, and you saw a little more trade action. But this year, it exploded. There was a number of trades both before and right up to the deadline on Monday morning. It uh, or Tuesday morning was it? Yes, yeah. Tuesday morning. Tuesday. And the big thing for me is I think I I read some things. I look at some. I think I, I agree with some of the pundits who are saying that the reason for this forward, tra- this traction that everybody seems to be getting in terms of making trades, dealing picks, it's because of the really top heavy nature of the NFL this year. If you look at the standings, there's like when you look at the AFC standings, for instance, you pull them up and you take a look and you say to yourself, okay, there's a lot of teams jumbled with kind of similar records. But at the same time, how many of those guys are actual contenders? 
How many of these teams do we genuinely believe can go win a Super Bowl? And so when I take this and I look at conference records, just looking at the the AFC. Why don't you simplify it for everyone listening? It's the Chiefs and Bills. No one else. Okay. Chiefs, Bills, dot, for some hilarious reason, NFL.com still has the Tennessee Titans. I mean, I guess they are technically the two seed, but holy shit. The Tennessee Titans. No, they don't. They don't have a shot. But we mopped them up, and they're somehow still the two seed. That tells you how mediocre the entire conference is. Look at the NFC. They've got the league's only undefeated team. A six-win Minnesota. Kirk Cousins is piloting the second-best NFC team. No, that'll happen when you give him an offensive head coach. Geno Smith is quarterbacking the third-best NFC team. What? The Atlanta Falcons are in fourth. They're winning the NFC South. <laughs> Marcus Mariota. There, there's a revival going on here of old, never never even were, not even has-beens, never were quarterbacks in the NFL. Andy Dalton is starting in the NFC. They've got one, two, three, four, five, maybe five retread quarterbacks that nobody wanted. That conference stinks too, at least in the meat of it. And then you get the teams in the basement that everybody knew were going to be bad. But then you've, you look and you go one, two, three, four teams in the AFC with two or fewer wins. The Raiders? Like, what? The, both of these I thought Josh McDaniels was going to be a good head coach. I thought that guy, I thought he was smart. Remember how smart he is? All I go back to is that I Am Athlete podcast where uh, the Broncos players were talking about how they didn't understand how after Spygate 2, they just started losing every game. And then he goes, there was a moment where we just looked at each other and we're like, oh, no, we we were cheating. I hope (laughs) we definitely were cheating. I hope (laughs) that this is the. The hire of McDaniel is the last straw for people poking Belichick's tree. (laughs) Let me grab this branch off that Belichick tree for a head coach. It doesn't work. It it not only doesn't work, but it usually ends up really embarrassingly for everybody involved. Romeo Cornell, was he good? No. Um, Mangini. Bill O'Brien? Bill O'Brien beat the Bills in a playoff game. He made a couple others that always involved his team taking a shovel to the face. And then the year he beat the Buffalo Bills, he did it just so that he could go to Kansas City and get the Negan treatment. Like, I think it was Walking Dead Season 7 when he just beats two people to death with a baseball bat. Like, that's on on TV, graphically. That's what I saw in that game, and I can't... Chris? Everyone else was leaving. They're like, this game's a blowout. We should turn something else on the TV. I said, no. In fact, if my kids had been born, I would have made them watch it, too. Ashley Schaefer, let the boy watch. That's what I would have said about my son, Jack, when it came to that Kansas City game. Because I say, this is what you get, Bill O'Brien. And I need my son to understand what it means to rue. Let me ask you this here. Whose coaching tree do you consider Brian Dable coming from? Ooh, he's got to be the McDermott tree. I would put him McDermott. I would say he's a McDermott disciple. Because, well, you know, people are going to say, well, Belichick. But he was never a coordinator. 
Well, that's it. Then you had no real authority, which means you can't tell me that was that guy's dude. He was listed as a defensive assistant, a wide receivers coach, tight ends coach. That's it. Well, it's interesting to see all of these trades being made because the league has become so top heavy and you've got these middle class teams that are saying, I got to I got to catch up. You get the Miami Dolphins who are <laughs> it sounds I'm not even going to say it again. I'll, I'll wait till we talk to Elf. They're not Super Bowl contenders. But just like to, to your point, though, about the tree thing. People need to realize that Bill, not only is Bill Check's tree dead, it has no branches. It never did. It might be dying altogether. And I think that that's the funniest thing in the world is to picture that his legacy is going to end. And realistically, he can't even say, I made that quarterback. Because that quarterback at least went out and won one without him. The Bilicek tree does seem to be dying. And it's funny that we're talking about that because that's where we start this week's podcast is with the New England Patriots. We lead off the program tonight with Mr. Christian Simonelli talking about the New England Patriots who won. They got a dub. Thank God. 22-17 against the, the New York Jets. Five field goals. Your kicker was the special teams player of the week. Basically because you forced it on him. Was that Rohrwasser? No. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we don't talk about him. I'm pretty sure that guy's <laughs> back there with the uh, the rest of the uh, the Third Reich. Over there he was on here. Capitol Hill. Well, yeah, last yeah week, he was on Capitol Hill. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. So the illustrious return of Mac Jones after all the hubbub last week, obviously Belichick did the thing he had to do, which is put Mac Jones back in. You guys get the win. And the passing game isn't quite what you would expect it to be, but they went back to a lot of RPO college-style stuff, and it was just good enough. Like, it was just good enough to get this one in the garage. What did you think about that game, like, as a fan? When you go, we just got embarrassed on Monday Night Football. Did it make you feel, like, on a scale of one to ten, how much better did you feel watching them beat the Jets? Uh, it's, it's, I felt worse. Ah. I mean, I, <laughs> the game hinged on one play. And I can't get it out of my head. Uh, the Mac Jones interception that got uh, run run back for a touchdown, but then was negated by a roughing the passer penalty. Oh. Um, that was the whole game. At that point, the Jets probably would have went up. I think it would have been 17-3 to three they would have been up. Um, and the game probably would have been over, and you would have started looking towards the sideline to see if Zappi was had his helmet on or not. I mean, it was that close. Like it was, And he had a fumble. That was recovered, thankfully, by um, his offensive lineman and then Cole Strange. And then he had another near pick off of C.J. Mosley's shoulder pads that basically C.J. Mosley dropped during the game. So Mac played bad. Zach Wilson played worse. Despite throwing for 355 yards, Zach Wilson, he actually played worse. Well, that, And I guess that's my thing. Like When you look at the box score, you go, oh, Zach Wilson had a good game. And then you go, wait, three interceptions. Uh, two and sacks. And they were gifts. They were gifts. <laughs> I mean, that's... they were literally like he was like rolling towards the sideline, just threw it up, and literally Devin McCourty just stood there and <laughs> grabbed two of them. This is insane. So, so then he, Mac Jones with a pick, six sacks. Yeah. The fuck. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jets D is for real. Uh, particularly that defensive line, they can get pressure with four. Sauce Gardner is the real deal. Um, CJ Mosley was flying around all afternoon making plays. 
that defense is, is is legit. It's a legit defense. I I was like, well, they're five and two. They really haven't played anybody. And then you quickly find out that they were really just that. If you delve a little bit deeper into the other box scores, you would see that they were kind of winning in spite of Zach Wilson actually just trying to like manage the game. Um, that seems to be the growing rely narrative. on their running game. It <laughs> yeah. really seems to be the growing narrative. Is oh, that yeah. They're trying to find ways to win in spite of Zach Wilson, rather than Zach Wilson being the catalyst to the offense, which is a really yep. bad look when you're a number two overall pick. Yeah, it is. I mean, the kid is, look, no denying the kid's talent. He had a throw to uh, Tyler Conklin uh, in the end zone for a touchdown that, man, the coverage couldn't have been any better, but what a beautiful ball. I mean, the kid can sling it. You know, like I said, he was throwing the ball all day, um, but just dumb, just dumb, stupid decisions. Um, like, I, I would love to be a coach in that room this week and say, you know, what were you thinking on this play? <laughs> well, yeah, the <laughs> like, film what? session is probably you know, a rough I, one to sit through. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <sighs> no denying the kid's talent, but just, you know, following the long line of, Jets quarterbacks now that's the 13th win in a row against the Jets for the Patriots um, you know from Sam Donald seeing ghosts a couple of years ago in that Monday night game to this game where you know they just did enough the Patriots just did enough to frustrate him made him hold on to the ball made him hold on to the ball made him hold to the ball and just said oh okay I'm just going to throw it up and somebody will make a play um, and they did but it was just happened to be, the, be our defense that made the play well the good news for you guys is that in a <sighs> As miserable as the Dolphins' uh, Patriots season is gone, because I'm looking at the Dolphins' record right now, and I'm thinking to myself, oh. you guys are just two games back. For as bad as it feels, the whole AFC East is doing very well this year. Like, as a division, yes. our teams are playing. Chris, are you shocked to see all of our teams in the top half of the standings? Yes. Like that's a that's a stunner. <laughs> now the question, I mean, the theme of tonight's show is just the trade deadline and just all the mania that went on over the course of the week and a surprising. Uh, you you a hockey guy? No, I'm not. <sighs> You're a baseball guy. Sorry. Yeah, somewhat. All football, though. No oh, question. Okay. All football for me. So the trade deadlines in these other sports, football never used to be like that. And then this year you saw this flurry of activity that we've never seen before, which, I mean, obviously there's varying reasons for it. I was a little bit surprised to see that the Patriots mm -hmm. were the one team that didn't in the division make any moves. Like, what did you, what, what did the fan base think about that decision? Um, I think that most of us are, are realists and, and, and really come to the conclusion that the team really isn't doing this much this year anyways. And that if we, if they were going to make a move that it would have been with the uh, thought that you were going to have future picks, that you were going to move Aguilar's salary, you were going to move off of Isaiah winning his salary because I don't see either one of those guys coming back and that, okay, we can get something for them. That, but that, I, I that's maybe that, the like, thing. Like you're you talking know, you about, ask yourself. You're talking about bouncing players off the roster, and that was going to be my thing. To see you guys as buyers yeah. at the trade deadline, I didn't really see that because just the way this season is going, you don't, you're not overflowing with right. draft capital or cap space, really. So it wouldn't make mm -hmm. sense for you guys to be shopping. 
but also not finding homes for some of these players who don't feel like they're long for this Patriots roster. I'm thinking of like Kendrick Bourne. This is a guy who, when you guys signed him, he was looked at as like a gadget piece. Hey, we got this. We're going to rebuild the wide receiver room. We're going to have Jacoby Myers. We're going to have Nelson Aguilar to be our deep threat. And then we're going to have the guy who works the intermediate routes. And he's this sweep guy. And he can do, he's a Swiss Army knife in Kendrick Bourne. He spent this whole season basically in the doghouse and kind of as a non factor. So it would almost seem easy to see them trying to get something, a conditional late round pick for a guy like that who's just really not giving you anything anyway. Isaiah wins the interesting one to me. So I don't know. He's having the worst season of his career in a Patriots uniform, right? Yeah. Well, no question about it. Yep. Do you believe that that's maybe in relation to some of the coaching decisions that are being made more so than maybe his overall talent? Level? You got no Skynekia. <laughs> got, got no Skynekia. You can play that clip all day till the cows come home. Um, no, because other other players are playing well. Like Trent Brown is playing well. Like Michael Wendu is playing well. David Andrews, when he was in there, was playing well. Um, Cole Strange is a rookie. He struggled. He got benched, actually, for three series during this game. He hasn't played well. He's a rookie. Okay. My, uh, Isaiah Wynn has never been good. I'm sorry. He's never been good. Like, I wouldn't even say he's been, you know, average. He's never been consistent enough to where you could say, okay, that's a first-round pick. He's just not. And I, I, I just – I don't – you getting back to Kendrick Bourne real quick. I think the really, really the reason they only kept him around is quite frankly, salary. Like people have called about Kendrick Bourne, but the Patriots weren't interested in releasing him. Why? Well, they got three and a half million dollar, you know, salary for this year. That's certainly manageable. Nelson Aguilar, you're paying 15 million to him this year. You're paying Isaiah went 10 million. Who wants to pick up the rest of that salary? Nobody. That's why they're still here. So I just don't think I hate that draft. God, please, God, I hate that 2018 (laughs) draft so much with Sony, Michelle and Isaiah Wynn. Hate it, hate it, hate it. Because it was so out of the norm for Bill. Like, okay, offensive lineman first round. Got a history of that. Plenty, plenty of guys. Nate Solder, um, Logan Mankins. Fine. A running back. Bill never takes running backs in the first round. The last one he took in the first round was Lawrence Boney Maroney, and that lasted three years. Lawrence Maroney, that was that was awesome. I remember just I remember enjoying because we didn't have as Bills fans we didn't have a whole lot to punch down on you guys about. Lawrence Maroney was a good one. (laughs) I remember really enjoying that pick for you guys. So now as you sit here four and four, mathematically you're right in the thick of things. And you got to win over a division opponent who has a win over another division opponent who you, you, the three of you guys at the bottom of this thing are like a game of rock, paper, scissors. Like I beat you, but you beat that guy and he beat me. So I don't know who's actually good. And we're all one win separated from each other, like half a, one and a half to half a game apart. So knowing that that's where you stand, is it hard to watch the rest of the division spending capital and making moves to get better or is it one of those things where you've kind of accepted the fact that you don't expect the Patriots to still be in this you know four and four right in the thick of things position let's say a month from now I think it's the latter um as far as the division goes I think it's sort of like how we most of us probably envision the AFC West being like the Chiefs the Chargers the Broncos and the Raiders were all going to beat up on each other but 
that's clearly the the Chiefs in that division. That the Chargers are only one game out, but the Broncos and the Raiders have been a mess. Um, I picked the Patriots this year for seven, maybe eight wins. So that's that's kind of what I'm looking at. I, you know, the Dolphins going out and getting Chubb and getting Wilson. You know, you guys getting Hines. Um, and there was one other guy you got, I think. Yeah, Dean, Dean Marlowe. Marlo. Who else did you get? You know, that, backup backup safety yep. extraordinaire, yeah. Dean Marlowe. <laughs> but, you know, you made moves to solidify positions. I actually love the Hines move for you guys because he's a Patriot killer. So I expect him to have a big game against us. Um, he usually has really good games against us. But, no, I mean, I the Dolphins clearly, you know, they feel like they're in that win-now mode, um, certainly with, with Tyreek Hill and – you know, I think quite frankly, he's carrying two of this year, him and Waddle. So, but, you know, they feel that they can compete and, and the Jets certainly with their defense, they can compete. And, and the Bills are obviously that they're at the top. So, you know, they, they, they got stronger. I, it's a very odd place for us to be in. So I'm kind of not used to being in it for a very long time. But like I said, the expectations going into the year. Um, once again, I got yelled at this week because I said I just can't wait for this year to be over. <laughs> why can't you? Why can't you enjoy it? Why can't you do? Because I called called into a radio show like, why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? I'm like, because I don't have to do 20 hours of radio a week, so I don't, I don't have to enjoy it. I can hate every single minute of it if I want. I don't have to do four hours of radio a day for five months. <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> and pretend rem- to like it. I'll be interested. You, you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of Ghostbusters two. Where the mayor comes in and they're like, he goes, what am I supposed to do with this? Huh? You come here yeah, talking to me what about am I supposed to, supposed to, Am I supposed to go right. tell people? I, he goes, I'm supposed to go tell everybody. He goes, everyone, that they got to start being nice to each other because there's some slime under the city. Right. Being miserable and treating other like each other like dirt is every New Yorker's God-given right. <laughs> like, it's a God-given right. Yep. You're like, as Best a Patriots fan, it's my God-given right to hate this. And to your point about Tua, right. <laughs> your point about Tyreek carrying Tua, he currently has now we're in week entering week nine, the halfway point of the NFL season. Tua already has ninety-two targets for nine hundred and sixty-one yards. That's I think more than your entire wide receiver core. Uh yeah. <laughs> That's insanity. Yeah. And I think yeah, it just goes great. to show, like, that's where the talent gap is. Like, we have a – the Jets have found a Garrett Wilson and a Brees Hall. The Bills have found a Stephon Diggs, and they found a Gabe Davis and a Josh Allen. The Dolphins have a Tyree Kill and a Jalen yeah. Waddle, and the Patriots are kind of going, hey, what, what's our thing? Right? And so I, I guess this all really does well, make Andre sense. Stevenson is my answer, but that's it. As far <laughs> as finding somebody, that's it. Yeah, really. I'll tell you what, I would have loved it if you guys had traded him to the Buffalo Bills. But I digress. I'm sure. Christian, it's going to be a fun season to play, kind of play this out. I apologize if yeah, the team is in the predict. Well, yes, for us. It's, it's going to be great. <laughs> in the meantime, I appreciate you always giving us your time to give us a little bit of Patriots fan perspective on these things. Where can people follow you on social media? Oh, I love coming on. Thank, thank you guys for having me uh, on Twitter at Chris with the T I A N. Give me a follow. I'll give you a, a follow back and, um, you know, you can soak in my misery. Are, any chance you'll root for the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl this year? In the Super Bowl? Yeah. Got to see who they play. That's a tough one. I mean, I, 
The more and more it's the weeks against go by, the, the, more, the more and more I hate Allen, which Bills. tells me, oh, yeah, no, Bill's all the way. God, I hate the Eagles. <laughs> oh, yeah. Something we can all unite around. A hatred of Philadelphia. Awesome. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so that brings us to the Miami Dolphins portion of the broadcast, the one that surprisingly it seems like many, many, many of you tune in for. El Fartiaga has become something of appointment listening here. (laughs) Elf, how do you feel about that? Uh, I don't know how to feel about that. Uh, I I think I like it, maybe. It's we we have a complicated relationship, you and the Bills fan base. It's uh it is an interesting one, but your Miami Dolphins, they come into this week having uh beaten the Lions 31-27. When you come from behind to do so, and I guess in trying to recap that game, I want to start with a singular question. How the fuck were you losing to the Lions? Like explain this to me. Well, when you when you give up 30 yards of play and you miss tackles that go for 70-yard gains almost, uh, you tend to give up touchdowns. <laughs> and that's exactly what they did on the first three drives of the game. They were, they were absolutely horrific on, on defense. And on offense, they drove up and down the field, and then they threw a, a strike to Braylon Sanders, and he fumbles. And then that gets taken back, and that starts a touchdown drive. So that's that's how that happened. I... <sighs> There was a hot second there at the beginning of the season where even though the Lions were losing every game, there was some belief that maybe they were going to be better this year. Yeah, I think there was a stretch there before they got shut up by New England where they were one of the they were like the NFL's top offense. And we all went, oh, man, maybe this is in watching this team play like out of the gate. Did they have the look of that high octane offense that you expected? Or was it, was this whole thing genuinely just fueled by defensive mistakes? It's a little bit of both, but I'm going to give them a lot, a lot of credit on offense Uh, through four weeks. They were averaging 33 points a game and they were number one in yards um, of offense in the NFL. And I said on the podcast this, this coming week, this past week, um, you know, don't expect the lions of the last two weeks. They're a team that, Took a couple of injuries, mostly to that that wide receiver Mont Saint Brown, who's a who's a star by the way, and DeAndre Swift. Uh, they had a couple of other injuries on the offensive line, and they absolutely just imploded. Well, and, and don't, isn't that kind of what happens to teams when they're lacking depth? Like when you mm-hmm. don't, you, 
I, again, we're not, we didn't come here to throw stones, Elf, but you know this better than a lot of people. When the Miami Dolphins were still trying to build, you know, when they were building towards that 2020 season, where you said, okay, we're going to be good. We're going to challenge for the wild card. And then going into last year, you saw more. You kind of got this feeling for how even the best laid plans, you could put some star talent at this position and that position. You could put a couple great offensive linemen out there or one or two. You could give a star, throw a star running back into the mix or a guy who's just playing really well. But the second that you have to move past that guy, if your roster isn't deep, you just end up back in the weeds again. And that's where the Lions are right now. I mean, that's gotta, and that's got to be frustrating to go through as a fan base, right? Yeah, and it's just uh, – and, and they had like – look, first of all, Dan Campbell, we like him down here. Like he's the favorite mm-hmm. down here. Uh, you know, he was uh, – and and I and I think that he'll eventually end up back here as a tight end coach eventually, but uh, you know he has to oversee all parts of the of that team, right? And they, you know, they look like they had no clue whatsoever on on defense of what to do against Tua Tungabalo. They started. We're going to start zero blitzing him on every play, and then of course we start marching up and down the field. Then they said, okay, we're going to play really soft, and then he starts picking them apart. And then it, like they seemed like they didn't have a plan. And when you don't have a plan and you keep switching up your plan over and over and over again, that has to be on the coach. It just has to be. So, that, you know, they're going to need talent before they can evaluate Dan Campbell to begin with. But so far, not good. <laughs> I mean, that's any time I see a team score 27 points and a half and then get shut out the next over the next 30 minutes – you have to assume that you got outcoached. Like for whatever spread of time, whatever you whatever you thought you were doing, the other coach solved it, and you had no pivot. And that's what happens. And I, the the Bills have found that out. The Bills have been caught, but luckily we're talented enough to overcome that. Uh, the, the the Lions definitely are in that situation, which luckily for you guys, because it gets you one step closer to being back in second place in the AFC East. Uh, so I'm taking a look at this, though. The theme of the night is tr- the trade deadline. And obviously, you guys are probably the most compelling conversation to be had here. Uh, you and I had talked a little bit uh, earlier this week off air about the uh, just the idea of trades as a whole in the NFL. And it, it's you know, I've, I've got a kind of a thing lined up for our listeners here that we're going to air in a little bit to close at the show. But when you want to talk about getting good value... Look at the ridiculous value the Miami Dolphins have now gotten from a trade from Laramie Tunsil. How many years ago was that? Uh, that was in 2019. And uh, I'm actually going to go, You can, if you want to vamp here a little bit, mm-hmm. I'll look up the actual complete haul from that trade. Because when you read it out, it's... <laughs> It's it's actually kind of ridiculous. Absolutely. You go grab that information. So <laughs> I, I, I tweeted at Elf earlier today. There's a picture that NFL memes on Twitter put out, and it's the guy like pushing down a series of dominoes, but then they get like absurdly larger as you go down. And the first tiny little domino is, you know, uh, Laramie Tunsil caught smoking a bong mask. <laughs> And at the very end, after like nine different giant tiles, is this laundry list of players that are now in the Miami Dolphins roster. And it just, Chris, doesn't it seem a little crazy to think that just, again, you talk about the butterfly effect. 
his whoever leaked that photo just to try to screw him somehow like the, the Miami Dolphins owe that guy a case of beer don't they yeah they do it's uh it's almost like a similar haul to what Dallas got for Herschel Walker in the 80s like we haven't seen a haul like this before yeah and and I got the I got the the complete haul right here okay All right. and we're going to count the 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 San Francisco trade with Trey Lance because they used the picks. Actually, they used just exclusively the picks that they got from the Tunsil trade to kick the can down the road and add another first-round pick, which is the one that they used here lately, okay? And remember that they got docked a first-round pick that is not in the Laramie Tunsil deal. That was a Miami Dolphin pick for next year for tampering with Tom Brady, right? Mm -hmm. So they make the trade, and what they lost was Laramie Tunsil, and Kenny Stills, okay? They gained Julian Davenport, who played here two years as a backup tackle. He's no longer here. I believe he's uh, – I have no idea where the hell he is, but he's like a, a career swing tackle. He's no big deal. Johnson Batamosi, who was a special teams player, played here two years, then they cut him. Uh, the first first-round pick that they used on on from the trade was Noah Benogany. You see him where he is now, okay? Then here comes the good stuff. The following year, Jalen Waddle, then Javon Holland. They used one of the tr- one of the picks to send for Tyreek Hill. Then they swapped out second round picks, and the the cost was a fourth. So, are we really going to count a fourth? No, right. So Tyreek Hill counts. Channing Tindall, you're going to see him next year. They're grooming him to take over for Landon Roberts' role. Eric Azukama, who's on our practice squad, he's a big wide receiver. He's a superstar in the preseason. I don't know if you remember him. Oh, I right? remember. Okay, uh, Wes Walker keeps deeming him not ready to, to play yet, so I guess that's a guy you'll see next year. And the final first-round pick was Bradley Chubb. And I did all of this accounting, and I realized they still have a third-round pick left next year from the deal. <laughs> Tell so me that get- <laughs> that's not value, Chris. That's value. It's fucking wild. You, that, that should never happen, and yet this is the NFL, and trades get nuts. So when we take a look at this through the lens of what went on this week, I, I, obviously the silver tuna for you guys is defensive end Bradley Chubb for a first-round pick and a fifth and the swap of some other assets. Uh, I believe you guys sent them Chase Edmonds, but then traded for Jeff Wilson, which is funny because you can kind of look at these moves as like all part of one trade almost. I, I mean, if we want to talk about Jeff Wilson real quick, Swapping him out for Chase Edmonds, isn't that almost addition by subtraction, losing Chase Edmonds? Uh, yeah, you're getting a guy who's played in the system. He's now our leading rusher because he has 500 yards rushing. He has he averages 5.1 per carry. And I trust that he can catch the ball. So that's that's a plus. That's I've heard that's a nice thing to have, especially in our offense. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, it's a huge get. When, when they pulled off that, because we were on watch all day because – um, I could give you a little insight. Dolphins did kick the tires on Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt wants a ridiculous contract. Mm-hmm. And the Dolphins, I think, wisely decided that they weren't going to trade a fourth-round pick for a rental because Kareem mm-hmm. Hunt wants something similar to what Joe Mixon got. Mm-hmm. And what Joe Mixon got was in excess of $20 million guaranteed and about $10 million a year. Uh, Dolphins balked at that. And it's obvious their system, what they want to do, is not have expensive running backs. They they want to do it with guys like Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. 
I don't feel like anybody so, should want if you if you're kind of like what we're doing here. Yeah, well, that's my point. Like, if you're a smart GM, you don't want expensive running backs. I don't know what the hell the 49ers are doing. I mean, other than hey, well, I know what they're doing. They're trying to cover up for the fact that their quarterback did better in that Subway commercial than he has on an NFL football field in a while. Like, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to put him. So, Although I've explained to, to 49er fans, don't think that Christian McCaffrey is going to get is going to be one of these 25 carry guys. Uh, the reason they traded Jeff Wilson is because Elijah Mitchell's back at practice this week. Yes. And then that's going to be a two-headed running back as well. Yeah. Although they're going to have one expensive one in Christy McCaffrey. Well, you almost have to because that guy's going to be back on crutches here at some point. Like, McCaffrey will get hurt again. It's only a matter of time. Uh, so we're looking at this Bradley Chubb thing. First of all, out of the gate, are you okay with this concept of paying? Because you you don't make that trade, and obviously the story broke today from uh, Pro Football Talk. I believe I saw it on that. You you guys are pretty much already know that the contract extension is going to come. You you already have it pretty much figured out that we're going to extend him. It's going to be a thing. We're going to announce it here. There's talk about it. Yeah, being Chris, a- Greer, Chris Greer today had an availability, and they asked him about the trade, and he mm-hmm. said, yeah, that's not a consideration. We only made the trade because we came to an agreement. Expect an announcement like in the next two days is what mm-hmm. Chris Greer said. Well, so the you would kind of highlight because you know, people will balk at the money and say, well, it's, you're talking about a guy for up and down production, health. You had mentioned to me that the timing of this, just his extension compared to the rest of the roster is important. Do you want to just just explain that real quick? Yeah, it's actually perfect. It it works out perfectly because they get to do what they've been doing for the guys that they brought in that are high price guys, namely uh, Tyreek Hill and now Bradley Chubb. They're going to start front loading a lot of this stuff and they're going to have de-escalating salaries every single year against the cap because they got a couple of deals coming up here, namely Christian Wilkins. And well, Jalen Phillips is in four years, but Christian Wilkins and Javon Holland, because he was a second round pick is in two years. So those are going to be the two big ones coming up here soon. So they'll be able to keep doing that over and over and over again. They just they just stagger them really, really well. All they're doing is just taking money from one area mm-hmm. and handing it somewhere else. And it's kind of obvious what's going to happen here. Emmanuel Ogba has been injured all year. He got hurt in the Buffalo Bills game. And then uh, he showed up in the in the injury report after the Bills game. He played great against Buffalo, by the way. I, I think you remember. And he had a you back injury. In. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then he he missed the. Well, I think that game that was the game where he had the seven quarterback hits. He kept hitting mm-hmm. Josh Josh Allen and then and falling off of him. But yeah, Emmanuel Ogba got hurt in that game. Evidently, the team you know the team doesn't like to disclose injuries too much. He keeps showing up on the injury report with a back injury. He keeps leaving games in the middle of the game. Uh, he already missed one game. And this Detroit game, he was in and out of the lineup. So, you know, what are you going to do with Emmanuel Ogba? Well, the contract that they gave him kind of forces them to either trade him next year or play him, keep him on the roster for next year. But then they could cut him at zero cost at the end of next year. Mm-hmm. And that's likely what they're going to do. And then just hand his money over to Christian Wilkins. So it's it's actually pretty good management uh, if you think about it. And the only adjustment that they have to make is, as far as my estimation is, they can't spend too much money on running backs, and it might cost them Gasecki if Gasecki's going to hold the line on a twelve million a year contract. So that's really the cost going forward. 
I guess when I look at why, the why behind this move is pretty obvious. I, I mean, you guys needed better pass rush. I think you guys are like middle of the pack in the NFL in terms of pressure, uh, pressure percentages, sack rates, things like that. Um, also, how much of that do you think is a byproduct of, hey, we need a better pass rush because of these injuries or secondary keeps sustaining? Oh, obviously. And yeah. they're changing over the defense. Like, that's – it's official. Now with the signing of, of Bradley Chubb, that's the number one signal. And it was already coming. A lo- it, was, it was a long way coming. They started playing a bunch of cover three and then cover six and a lot of man under against the, the Lions in the second half. And I'm thinking to myself, man, they should have just started the game like this. But, you know, they keep they keep bumping their head against these teams. They, it, same thing happened against the, the Ravens, by the way. Uh, Ravens went up and down the field against our cover zero blitzes. And then all of a sudden we switched up to more conservative coverages and it was working. So if you're going to do that, obviously you got to get there with four or five guys at the most. And you got to get somebody opposite of Jalen Phillips because they just have had nobody opposite of Jalen Phillips. Now they got one. So they have one, and we opened the show with a clip from Dan Orlovsky from ESPN talking about how he woke up the day after the trade and declared that the Miami Dolphins are not Super Bowl contenders. <laughs> Which, I mean, depending on who in your just wildly hyperbolic fan base, you guys already were. Or if you talk to some people, you guys are just waiting for the other shoe to fall, the, the, the sky is falling, everything sucks. Our pets' heads keep falling off. Like, everything's terrible. To pet. So you guys have this kind of volatile fan base. The fan energy's going back and forth. It's all over the place. You've got this guy who's now declaring in the mainstream media that these moves make you Super Bowl contenders where you weren't before. Now, your offense was doing just fine. Your defense, is, again, the injuries that you've been sustaining really make it more difficult in order to sustain a prolonged defensive presence did you think that that these moves were quote-unquote necessary for the 2022 Dolphins in order to like be competitive and be contenders down the stretch and do you agree with his assessment that that's where you guys are today uh necessary no but essential to give yourself a better chance absolutely because on defense uh they obviously had to change and we're still waiting on Byron Jones today Chris Greer kind of you know you know, sh- shined a little bit of hope on the on the fan base by saying he's in the building, he's working, and I know that by the way, I, I've seen him there. Okay, he's in the building, he's working, he's on the sidelines for Christ's sakes, but you know he's not in uniform, and that's where everybody wants to see him, especially when the guy makes sixteen million dollars. You got sixteen million dollars on the bench. You know, you have the most, yeah, you have the highest paid fan in football is essentially <laughs> what you have. Yeah, you know. So once you get him back, then you could start talking about, you know, how good your defense is and how good your roster is compared to everybody else. And then you can start talking about winning a Super Bowl. So, um, yeah, he was essential. You know, going forward, he's essential for as far as roster building, because I think he's a, he was a missing piece if you look at this team. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as this year, he was absolutely essential because they just can't play the defense that they used to play. They just can't do it. They have to completely change it. They have to be much more conservative. And that means a pass rush that can get there with four or five guys. Now, one of the beauties of having only two guests on the show means I get a little bit more time to talk to you. And this is the last point that I don't think anybody else is going to hear on any podcast talk because everybody's talking about trades. I have one last question. As I'm th- I was thinking about as I'm driving in here. I, pff, this move to give away a first-round draft pick, 
for Bradley Chubb, this piece that you say is necessary for us to make this run. Then you think about the fact that you're missing a first-round pick. Not only now are you missing one in next year's draft, which is supposed to have some pretty solid quarterback prospects in it. You're also missing a first-round pick in the next draft. So what that means for this whole Tua, Tungavaloa, is he or is he not our franchise quarterback conversation is that you guys won't have another bite at the apple in terms of a high draft pick to, to, to potentially use on a quarterback until Tua is completing his fifth-year option season, in which place you'd already hope that there's an extension in place before that. If you're talking about continuing this kind of, as you're, I'm thinking about this as you're talking about sound roster building, sound cap management, how Chris Greer's been showing off that he has a savvy for this. What do you think that this move says about the team's commitment to Tua? Because to me, just as an outsider, you don't make this move if you don't think that this is the guy that you can go win and try to, like, you can not just win games, maybe compete for division titles. You're going to have to eventually be able to compete for a Super Bowl with that guy if you're going to give away your next two bites at the apple of getting a potential replacement for him, right? Yeah, well, you got to understand, remember that they still have 2024. Mm-hmm. What they don't have is their own 2023 because they had two first-round picks in 2023. So they still have 2024. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, they didn't touch the 2024 draft. I think they they have a swap in 2024, uh, and that's in the Tyreek Hill trade. Yeah. There's a swap for fourth-round picks in 2024. Okay. Uh, remember, they had three first-round mm-hmm. picks. Oh, no. Used, no, I know. So I'm just they, thinking about this in terms of the timing of when you would want to for the purposes of roster building and having cap flexibility. The way the Bills extended Josh Allen before he even saw the field for his, I think he was at his first day of training camp when they announced of his fifth-year option year when they announced his extension. That's becoming the norm because GMs want that extra flexibility. They want to know that I've got my guy locked up. I know what his price is. I can start shifting money around now. I can do restructures next year. I can start mapping all this out. For you guys long term, it sounds an awful lot like they're tying, like the more of these trades they make and the more shifting of money they do like that, it's almost tying you guys to Tua, isn't it? Uh, well, they've, made, they've already made the decision that, you know, that, that's the guy going forward and you know maybe believe people when they say things you know in preseason the coach and chris greer said no that's the guy that they want uh yeah it, in 2023 they have a second round pick they have two third round picks because remember they also traded uh Devontae parker for a third round pick it just occurred to me the patriots gave us a third round pick for Devontae parker and they get it next year so they have three picks in the top 80 next year okay and then they had the swap with Kansas City, right? In 2024, they have all of their picks except their third rounder, which is forfeited in the tampering case, okay? Because they were docked a first mm-hmm. and a third. So they have a pretty healthy situation going forward as far as picks. So I, I just think Chris Greer has done a great job. And I don't know if you've, if you've seen my philosophy, and, and I think the Bills should be doing the same thing as well, which is if you're picking – and I look – and Everybody knows I'm I'm kind of like a draft Nick, and our podcast was born out of following the draft. Draft picks past 25 are worse than lottery picks because lottery picks eventually you win, right? Picks yeah. after 25, you're talking about hitting. It's like a 12 percent rate, 14 percent rate. We actually talked about that earlier this offseason with Kyrie Elam and how cornerbacks taken after the 20th pick. 
it's just a who's who of guys you've never fucking heard of before because they all yeah. failed. My if I'm if I had if I was running a team, okay, if I was a general manager in the NFL and I had a pick past twenty five, I would trade it every single year for either a impact player or for more picks. Like if you got a second, a third, and a fifth you want to send me for well, my late first round pick. Well, do you know why it. though? Do you know why? Because it's one of those things where it's like the family guy episode. And I guess that's where we'll leave this conversation on is draft picks at this point when you're trading for Bradley Chubb and you say, Oh, that's a lot to give up. It's like that family guy episode where they're talking about you you came to this meeting, you know, the the well, whatever, the the timeshare meeting. You can pick the boat. Or the mystery box. And Peter goes, let's take the box. It might be a boat. (laughs) That's what this is. That's what this whole conversation has become about. I'm glad that football has finally caught up to sports like baseball and hockey in terms of meaningful in-season trades. I'm sure you guys are going to have a ton of extra coverage on this stuff over at 3 Yards Per Carry. Why don't you tell everybody where they can follow your work over there? Uh, You can get our podcast wherever you get your podcast, of course. Uh, It's the number 3 Yards per carry, that's the number three yards per carry. You want to follow us on Twitter, it's also the number three yards per carry. You want to follow me, you want to troll me when, whenever the Bills play the Dolphins, it's Alf underscore Artiaga. Alf Artiaga and Christian Simonelli. I think the only tag team I can reference them to based on uh, each of their teams right now probably be like the bushwhackers <laughs> i remember those guys i because i just see in my head right now i'm picturing dolphins fans walking around like that thinking they're gonna win the super bowl and they're not bradley chubb did not change your odds at winning a super bowl at all I think the one thing that people left out, because if you watch the rest of the Orlovsky hit on NFL Live, so, oh, you know, got a defensive end to go tackle Josh Allen. Yeah, we've done that before as a division 10 years ago when we had traded for Jerry Hughes, signed Mario Williams, uh, Wilkerson and uh, Richardson were with the Jets. Miami had... uh, Cam Wake and Olivier Vernon. Everybody in our division tried to get DNs and tackles to get Brady. And you know what? It didn't work. Do you remember and that it's game not gonna where, work here. where Rex Ryan had the cold front and he told everybody this is going to be the loudest game. We're going to set the record. Everybody show up. Be loud. We're going to sack the hell out of Tom Brady. It's going to be great. Tom Brady took every single snap of that game out of the shotgun and just torched our defense. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that he threw more than five or six incompletions the whole day. Yeah, it's not gonna. Sorry, Bradley Chubb's not gonna make a difference. Uh, speaking of not making a difference, we talk about the New York Jets. Yeah, Scott Mason joined us this week for our uh, a, our week nine preview. So we're gonna cover his spot here in the shift, and we're gonna make this short and sweet. Uh, if we're recapping their loss to the Patriots twenty two seventeen, he broke his four game streak and no touchdown passes, which I guess is great for Zach Wilson. Um, their defense held the Patriots to under 200 yards, passing yards, which is good. Wilson committed three killer turnovers. And uh, I don't know. Garrett Wilson had uh, his second 100-yard game of the season, which I think is good for a poor passing offense and an inconsistent quarterback. And then we also 
had to stop using pennant fever. <sighs> they killed the heater. Yep. That'll happen when you lose Brees Hall and AVT. Well, yeah, this is it. I mean, the luster's kind of come off this team because they've lost. You know, we, we were talking to Elf about not having depth and knowing what that's like. The Jets are there. The Jets are a team that have finally picked themselves up from literally the NFL's basement. I mean, it doesn't get worse than back-to-back four-win seasons. The Bills were never that bad back-to-back. Yeah, the Jets season, you know, assuming that Brees and AVT didn't get hurt, it seemed like it was shaping up to be the seasons like when they had Mark Sanchez. Because... Zach Wilson is just fucking shit up, throwing INTs. They have a pretty decent line. You had Brees Hall and then a solid defense. But if they could just find a way to keep Zach Wilson from messing things up, you got a team. Like, you got a team that can go win some football games. It's just crazy to see how this whole thing has unfolded. And so when you look at the trade deadline for the Jets. They didn't even trade, uh, what's his face? Elijah Moore? No, they didn't. Try. And I was surprised by that. Like, I was surprised by the fact that you've got an openly disgruntled player and you say, no, we're going to keep him because and this is honestly, this is a move by the front office and the coach. This is more a coach move because, Chris, you know, like how many times hockey, football, you know, if there's a guy who's a problem in the locker room, who's basically like, look, I'm not happy anymore. And if you don't move me. I will be it. Look at Brandon Cooks right now do in you, Houston. Do you want a? He's a problem, and yet their franchise, whether it's their coaches, I will give you too a, weak to corral it in, and their GM just doesn't have the balls to make something happen. I will give you a hockey comparison. What's that? Last year, Jake DeBrusque for the Bruins put in a trade request, kept playing, didn't get dealt at the trade deadline. And he may have rescinded his trade request. Like, it could still be smoothed over. But sure. Well, but it it's takes a long a shot. Well, it takes a strong coach and a yeah. good GM. How, how much so you want to be wanna... for me a litmus test for these two guys in the Jets franchise as to whether or not they can find a way to say, look, we know we've marginalized you. We know you're not happy about it. We're also playing really good football right now. The type of football. And it might even be one of those things where, depending on how the next couple weeks go with Zach Wilson, they have to look at him and go, who's more important to this franchise? I mean, I know we gave up a second round pick for this guy, but also he is a talented wide receiver. I think and if he has to come to well, hear me out, if he has to come to us one more time and go, guys, why am I not getting any snaps? How come I'm not seeing any targets? Why am I not being the one worked into routes? And they got to pull him aside and go, look, man, it's not you. The guy throwing you the ball, he's a hack. And unfortunately, we don't have anybody else to put in there, at least not until he completely shows us he can't do the job. So for right now, we got to go with guys with bigger catch radiuses. We got to go with guys who are run blockers because that's the offense. And unfortunately, you don't have a role as big as they do in that. And make him understand that it's not you, it's that guy. But we can't do anything about that guy right now. But listen, just sit tight. Just sit tight. <laughs> I think Elijah Moore put in a trade request because he didn't want to pay New York taxes on his game checks. <laughs> That's my guess. That's hilarious. Yeah, he wants to go hang out with uh, Tyreek Hill? Yeah. Realistically, that whole situation is going to be an interesting litmus test for the franchise. And also, 
The trade for James Robinson. This is a question I want to ask you as somebody who doesn't know anything about analytics, doesn't know stats, history. In 2017, the Buffalo Bills gave up a third-round draft pick to bring in Kelvin Benjamin in 2017. Mm, Biscuits. And, And you go... Holy shit, the Bills just traded for a wide receiver. But you needed that. You desperately needed wide receiver help. Yeah, what, do you want to start Zay Jones? Well, that, this was, and you're like, oh, we, we're sustaining injuries now. We need something. We got we to gotta make it happen. A team that hadn't, like, we had the longest active playoff drought in history. We had to go get that piece, not even because we thought it would make us the way the Dolphins think that their trade made them Super Bowl contenders. We just needed to get over the hump. You look at the way this season was going, the, the Jets lose Brees Hall, and they immediately, they don't hesitate, they immediately pull the trigger and bring in James Robinson. So now you're looking at them and you say, okay, you you brought in somebody who you think can be the engine of your offense to replace Brees Hall. I think that those two trades are kind of born from that same desperation, aren't they? They could be. Like, oh my God, if we can just get this fucking monkey off our back, if we can just get this monkey off our back and go break this drought so that this coaching staff can at least build some cachet for itself and we can say, look, we know that you as a fan base, you as an owner who's getting frustrated with a losing football team, everyone gets a little bit more rope when you win. The Bills broke the drought and immediately, like, it gave... Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, the rope that they needed to completely tank our roster in 2018, eat all the bad cap choices, and then in 2019, go make the playoffs again with a newly formed, long-term competitive roster. Yep. Do you think that this would, the the pursuit of James, don't you see it as kind of the same move as the Kelvin Benjamin trade? Yeah, yeah, they're just trying to get a replacement in for... Brees Hall. Uh, was it Michael Carter? He's the other, other back. Yeah, he's not cutting it. No, he's a small guy. Plus he's not Jay, a three-down back. Plus, James Robinson is undrafted, mm-hmm. right? So the contract that you're taking on isn't that big. Nope. At the same time, there's a cost. Now, like I said, they gave up, a, I think it was like a fifth-round pick for James Robinson. I don't know. I don't care to even look it up. Here's what I want to ask you, because I've, I've been thinking about this ever since I saw the James Robinson trade, and I started thinking about it like this. In retrospect, was Kelvin Benjamin, knowing that he, like James Robinson, was just a rental to try to get you over the hump? He was never, you hoped, like, hey, maybe he could be our franchise wide receiver, but we don't have a franchise quarterback, so it doesn't, I don't don't even know if it matters. Was the third round pick that you gave up, that we gave up for Kelvin Benjamin, worth it to you? Well, who was that third round pick? No idea. But 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 him being on this roster is kind of the difference between us breaking the drought and not breaking the drought. So I would have to go and look up third round picks from Bean since he's been here and kind of decide whether or not he's hit on third round picks. I can tell you Devin Singletary and Zach Moss were third round picks. Okay, so not great. <laughs> It's not, not great, Bob. Moss is gone, and Singletary is going to be gone at the end of the year. Right? Because he's due a new contract. Yep. Yeah. So Singletary <laughs> will be gone. So not that great. Meanwhile, you landed a guy that he helped your run game a ton. 
Only scored, well, what is this, 2017, he had one touchdown reception. But, hey, he was out there. He wasn't elite. He played six games before you started all of them. He gave you a huge run run support presence, which is what our offense was. And it really kind of fueled the run. And realistically, he gave you a target that other teams had to account for so Zay Jones could make some plays. Guys like Deontay Thompson could make some plays. So... When you think about it like that, if you're the Jets, this has to be viewed as good value, right? A guy who might, maybe, if he pans out, might save your season, might help you break a 10-year playoff drought. You kind of have to, like, that's a no-brainer move then, isn't it? Yep. Perfect. And that's the conversation as we go on to the Buffalo Bills, who in this week's action beat the Packers 27-17. Obviously, by now, if you're listening to this, you've heard our recap podcast you've heard our preview podcast where we're going to go take on those same jets who are really kind of fighting for their season right now like they're seeing the writing on the wall they're going to find out what kind of a team they are now without this electric rookie running back and the whole idea that i i I guess the reason i bring up the zay the zay jones stuff the kelvin benjamin stuff the value stuff is because trades are a really funny topic they all have to be approached differently based on where you are in the roster building process and where you are as a franchise. If you're a team that has such a long history of just sucking at the game of football, just being terrible, missing out on the playoffs, firing coaches, firing quarterbacks into the sun, both literally and figuratively, I, you have to do whatever you can to stem the tide and provide at least the visage of stability, correct? Yeah. Okay. Meanwhile, when you're the Bears and the Lions, you don't have a roster. You don't have one. <laughs> so offloading talent for future draft picks makes a lot of sense. Even if it is players like Roquan Smith or TJ Hawkinson who probably have the skill set to be an anchor for some other franchise at their given positions, giving their that roster's development, they have value that helps you in the future which is where you're thinking about as a franchise. You're not thinking about that season. You're thinking about two years down the road. And then you've got teams like Miami, who, as Dan Orlovsky stated, they're not Super Bowl contenders, baby. Woo! Hear it? No. I got a feeling. Not, not a chance. Not a chance in hell. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear. What? You, you know what would be really interesting? Like, if the season ended today, it would be... Miami going to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. That would be fun. Tell me that that's not the wild card matchup we want to see as we're sitting at home with the one seed and in, in a first round bye. And a case of Montuckies. Oh, dude, I would need two. I would need two. One for the game. The second for the celebration. <laughs> because no matter who loses, I win. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. But so, like... Miami's in this spot where their roster is competitive and they have cap space and they have draft picks. You should be expecting them to take swings for the fences, knowing that they have time on their side in regard to like the future potential stars that they have that may not even earn a contract. You know, Elf talked about Christian Wilkins and Jalen Phillips. If Jalen Phillips falls off a cliff or can or misses time with significant injury or whatever, there's no guarantee that Miami's going to retain him as a pass rusher. At least they'll know they have a guy, one guy, under contract, who can do the job when he's healthy. And then there's this dynamic of value 
it's a fuzzy, hard to define concept, and it's based on all of these different places where your team might be. I mean, I, a perfect example. This is the way I got to watch in real time. You and me, Chris, we were here in the studio watching Brett Coleman and EJ Snyder record their podcast this week, uh, the Bootleg Football Podcast. And I'm the one who got to break the news to EJ that Roquan Smith had been traded. His yeah. team, his team's defensive captain, former Alabama linebacker, roll tide, uh, one of, like again, the anchors of their defense traded for a second-round pick, and I got to watch how excited he got when I told him that because he was like, oh, my God, they fleeced Acosta because this was a guy that we weren't going to retain anyway, and we got a second-round pick? That seems great. And he kind of went off on a rabbit hole down his phone. He was all excited about it. So I can only imagine the look on his face when, like, the very next day they spent a second, that like, that same second round pick on Chase Claypool, a wide receiver who Mike Tomlin once referred to as, I want football. He, what do he say? He goes, on this football team, we need volunteers, not hostages. It's hilarious. It's a good pickup by the, the Bears. I mean, he did go to Notre Dame, so he knows the area. I, th- that whole thing gets even funnier when you consider that Packers fans were mad about it. Packers fans were mad. Apparently the Packers were in it. Yeah, they, they offered a second, and the pa- and uh, basically... I think Chicago offered their own second. Yes. And then they kept Baltimore's second <laughs> for themselves. And, and the Steelers went, well, Baltimore's going to be way better than you. So, so essentially Pittsburgh retained equal value for what they used to get Claypool. Because I think Claypool was like 37th overall. Yes. Somewhere in that number. Somebody fact check me on that. But here's what's hilarious. Packers fans are pissed off that, oh my God, we didn't get to spend a second on Chase Claypool. Do you realize that DeAndre Hopkins, like star wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins... He was traded for a second-round pick just like two years ago. (laughs) Yep. See? Value. The NFL is a crazy fucking place. And good value, quote-unquote, is incredibly fluid and hard to pin down. But we're going to try to do it as it pertains to the Bills moves. I first want to look at a couple cast-offs that have been making waves. Uh, I mean, first of all, Brandon Bryant played for us a little bit, I think, back in 2020. We called on him. He was a big run stuffer. He kind of just, I don't know. Yep. You're just another gear of jag. Just another guy. The other two made waves amongst the fans. Wide receiver Isaiah Hodgins and running back Zach Moss. Now, first of all, the Isaiah Hodgins thing is hilarious. Uh, the guys at the Circling the Wagons podcast. You know that meme of the, the guy in the yellow suit kind of leaning around the tree rubbing his hands? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in August... They tweeted out that meme in conjunction with Brian Dable just just waiting for the Isaiah Hodgins release. And then they retweeted it today, and they were like, ah, we were just a couple months off. <laughs> <laughs> the, Nate Geary's got to be crying into, like, a velvet pillow somewhere. A couple slow, like, like, like a couple slow PSA-style tears. Yep. Like... The, his boy, remember, was supposed yeah. to be better than Gabe Davis. Well, yeah, they need a wider. Didn't they? Who, who's the guy for the Giants that tore his ACL running down the field? Ah, uh, Slayton. Not Slayton. No, 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 no. Shepard? Um, Shepard. Sterling Shepard. Yeah, so he tore his ACL. So they needed bodies, and they know this guy. Joe Shane, their new GM. Brian Dable, 
<clears throat> both very familiar with the drafting of Isaiah Hodgins. Mm-hmm. So it, it, the move makes sense. It's just funny to me that they can't. Is Buffalo to like think about where we are compared to where their franchise is. Think about where the Panthers were compared to the Buffalo Bills when Sean McDermott first got there. Is this the start of a new pipeline? Like every time, we, like out of every wave of castoffs, there's going to be a couple that just end up in the Giants organization. So were we were constantly referred to as the Carolina Bills. Yeah. Now this is going to be the New York Bills. Which is hilarious because we're the only, that's what it should be called. I mean, we're the only team in New York. Yeah, and it does make sense. And then you got Zach Moss, who was part of the trade to land running back Naheem Hines in like a one-for-one plus a draft pick swap. To say that Zach Moss struggled to provide the Bills with value is like saying Dan Snyder, he's just a little bit complicated as an NFL owner. (laughs) I don't want to punch down, right? I don't want to punch down on players who by all accounts showed up here. They were never a problem. They towed the company line. They did everything they were asked to do. They worked hard, but just didn't find a fit. They just didn't find a fit, didn't find a role, weren't able to provide production within the team's system here. The fact that he's been benched or might as well have been benched. He, Chris, would it shock you to find out he was active for that Green Bay game? Was he? I thought he was a healthy scratch. Turns out he was out there. They just didn't put him on the field. Interesting. Now, that should tell you everything you need to know about what they thought of Zach Moss. That's it. You've outlived your usefulness. We think you're better than Duke Johnson, but not good enough to come out of here. James Cook, better than you. Devin Singletary, better than you. Us calling quarterback draws, better than you. Get out of here. Like, yeah. So, none of this moves the needle for you in terms of, like, oh, my God, we lost X, right? No. No. And, in fact, some people probably celebrated the Zach Moss thing because it we improved. puts it to rest. We improved. Addition by subtraction. Well, I want to start with safety Dean Marlowe. Dean Marlowe is one of those trades that it's funny because you don't think it's going to happen. I was like, it's too poetic. It's too poetic that I – mean, think about this. When – Sean McDermott was the hired as the coach here. He brought Dean Marlowe with him. Mm-hmm. And then you go back his last 2020, he was playing for a contract. Yeah, yeah. He finished the season with two interceptions of Tua in that blowout where our backups were in by the second half and still dominating the Dolphins, crushing their playoff hopes, which is just something I like to relive every now and again. I throw it on TV and watch it. Mm-hmm. Like the game like they, they used to be called what is it now NFL Plus. Yeah, I used to throw on Game Pass and just watch it because I'm petty. Uh, he had two interceptions and almost a third. He almost had the hat trick, which never happens. A single player getting three picks in a game. And he signed a free agent contract because he was he was tired of being a backup. He said, look, I think I'm good enough to start in the NFL. But he was the longest tenured player with McDermott on the Bills roster at that point. Yeah, and then he went to Detroit. Went to Detroit. Ended up in Atlanta this offseason. Traded back here for a seventh-round pick. And the thing that I love about this move is that, first of all, you're getting the guy, obviously you've heard it all, familiar with the scheme and versatility and ah, veteran presence. For me, it's about the locker room. It's about prodigal sons coming home. Think about it. Jordan Phillips. 
brought back here. Monster. Monster. Why? Because he peerless priced himself. He went outside the fence. He saw what the... The grass isn't always greener on the other side. Shaq Lawson. Right when the team's ramping up in 2019, goes out there and has a career year and then leaves in free agency. Gotta get that money. He's back on the roster. You know who else left? Dean Marlowe. And the thing for me wasn't anything he had to say. It wasn't anything that the team had to say. It was that his wife went on Instagram and literally she's bawling her eyes out. Just elated at the idea that they get to come back to Buffalo because she's like, that always felt like home to me. I couldn't get past her giant Botox Botox lips. I understand. It's a bad look. They They look like two giant snow tubes. Attached it is, to her it mouth. is an awkward look. It's very <laughs> Kardashian esque. But either way, I'm not here to th- I'm not here to throw shit at a guy's wife. What I love is that that's not even the player. That's the player's family going. These people, this team was our family. You heard it from Jordan Phillips. This team made the most sense. It was the only place you wanted to go because it felt like family. Getting them back is like a reclamation process, uh, pro- uh, project, and you watch the reaction that, like, uh, I don't know, you watch the things that these guys have done on our roster throughout that. The guys you've added already, who are now grateful to be here, because they've been on the other side of the fence, they've gotten paid a little bit, and they now understand that there are some things that are more important than that check. They're almost playing harder because of it. I love it. And then Naheem Hines. For me, I know that he's fast. That's great. Obviously, that's the direction the Bills' offense is going. Right, Chris? What, uh, Shakir, Cook? Yep. uh, Straight line speed is what you want. That's what the team prioritized a little bit here in the offseason. But to me, that's not the value of Naheem Hines. Neither neither is it all of his accolades. You know, I think I saw somewhere he has like the fifth most yards from scrimmage since he came into the league in 2018 for a running back. Like, all of this stuff. I don't know. What I like is that what it does, his skill set does for us structurally, which is, first of all, I look at our slot wide receiver statistics, Chris. They have been fucking horrible this season. Now, you knew that it was going to take a step back when you lost Cole Beasley, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. But so when you look at, uh, you're looking at this, Isaiah McKenzie has 170 yards. Jameson Crowder had 60 yards before he got injured. Khalil Shakir has 112. From the in limited role, like in limited sense, he only has 13 targets on the season. So out of this, your slot, like something that used to be a, an area of strength for the Buffalo Bills in terms of their passing offense and their 11-man personnel packages, has now become a weakness because you can't rely on Isaiah McKenzie to, to just be, I don't, know, I don't know, what do you want to call it, Chris? He gets separation, he's open, and then you throw him the football and he can't catch it. Yep. I mean, look at the disaster of a Chiefs game for him. Other times, he disappears completely unless you draw up jet sweeps and things for him. You're you're not getting Stefan Diggs has 764 yards. Our slot wide receivers combined barely have 300 between three players. You're not getting value from that position of your team. And you look at when you look at the next gen stats uh, passer chart for Josh Allen, 
It's ugly. And he, he's every, he's green everywhere. He's above league average, except for right in the middle of the field after 10 yards. League average is 87.5 passer rating. He's 43.5. That's, that's horrible. And that relates directly. It's the lowest he's been in that area in two seasons. And that relates directly to the talent on hand that's been utilized in that spot. So when you bring in Naheem Hines, knowing that he's, your, he's a punt returner, think about those 13 targets Shakir has. Yep. When you look at his snaps, the snap count, he's only played 23% of the offensive snaps, which is, I mean, he's just above Reggie Gilliam. It's because he's been punt returning. <laughs> he's been back there as a punt returner after, after Jamison Crowder's whole injury thing. He's been fielding punts. Well, now we've watched them marginalize other guys for that reason. Like, hey, we need him for this. We can't jeopardize a starter at another spot, blah, blah, blah. Now you have the ability to move Shakir to that position and get to see him a little bit more in that role. Don't you think that that's what's best for our offense? Yeah. And at the same time, if James Cook kind of, he's going to have ups and downs. Not all of his games are going to go as well as this game against the Packers did for a rookie running back. He brings you some stability and some options in terms of a pass catching back. A better route runner because he's done it for longer. The same speed, just proven ability. It's your J.D. McKissick and you're only paying a little bit to get it. I love it. I just think about the, the what it does to the future of the room because Cook is going to be here. He was a second-round pick. You're not cutting him. Correct. You traded Moss. Singletary's not coming back. Well, that's the thing. Naheem Himes is under contract for two more years. Next year, he's going to cost you about $4 million, which is reasonable for if you're a good running back or a decent running back option or if, you ha- if you're a depth guy that can be relied on to fill a couple jobs and you've got a good starter in front of you. Doesn't this kind of almost put the writing on the wall for Devin Singletary? They're like, hey, you're not going to be here, so you better go put on a show for the next team that's going to pay you in free agency. Yeah. yeah. It's weird how one trade deadline for the Bills, who almost never make moves, it gave us some things to chew on, and it gave our offense so many more options just by adding one guy. Well, hey, we got a Super Bowl window. At some point, you got to go all in. Can't just sit back there and... Be like Darcy Regera in 05. <laughs> I can't believe you just inv- Oh You're gonna tear you're gonna tear the scab off that wound, huh? Yeah. That's a perfect place to end this podcast before I throw a beer across the room. Guys, I love our guests. I love the fact that we get together and get to get together and do this show every week where we just talk about other things outside the Bills, but how they relate back to our football team. It's been a lot of fun, but for tonight, i got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your AFC's Roundup.